best and the worst of culture today. Billy Graham was asked this question many years ago. What is the greatest problem in the world today? Think about it for a moment. Don't answer. I'm going to tell you what he said. I agree with it. But what would you have said? The greatest problem in the world today. Don't say it. He said racial tension. When you think of how most people, more people have died than any other way, far more by cancer, what they found, what have they died from? Racial tension. Ethnic cleansing, it's called. Whole nations have been slaughtered because of racial tension. It's an old problem. But I want to take you to the end where there's no more racial tension. And listen to how this sounds. The nations will walk in its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. It sounds like we're getting the best of the nations. Is God's answer to obliterate culture? It's to heal the nations. Becca read the scripture. It's to heal the nations so that the nations come in the new earth and give their best. Brazil will give its best. The people who are in heaven from Brazil will present a Brazilian culture. And we'll, we'll see Uruguay at its best. We'll see Samaria at its best in the new kingdom. Listen to this. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought to it. I understand that as culture. That what God has for American culture, Russian culture, Brazilian culture will come there. Now, if that's to be true at the end, what would Satan do to stop that? Instead of having the nations come and unite together and appreciate one another, appreciate the gifts of the nations, what would he do? Divide nations, tongues, ethnic groups. And so how has he done that? Has, has he been somewhat successful? Horrendously so. When you think of the kind of ethnic cleansing or the kind of things that happened with Idi Amin in Uganda, or Rwanda, or Yugoslavia, or Greece, or Pakistan, or America. First Nations, Birmingham, Alabama. Ever seen the pictures? It's terrible. Or World War II, Japanese American. You've got culture coming against culture. You've got nation coming against nation. You've got fighting. You've got the worst kind of hatred possible. Think ISIS. Think, think whatever you want to think. It's all over. It's everywhere you can look. And so when we read in Acts 8 that he's preaching in Samaria, it's like it's, of course, preach in Samaria. That was an impossibility two years before. And so I want to look at the racial tension as we look at Acts chapter 8 because it's a common message. And it still burns in America. Every major city has, has had parts of its city torched, right? 
We're seeing it right up to the present with terrible racial tension and people wanting to kill people, people wanting to wipe out cities. Every major city in America has its gangs. And how are they formed? Racially. You've got the Koreans fighting the Chinese and the Nicaraguans. In Nicaragua, a guy told me, or El Salvador, I was in line at Apple, and he said, uh, I'm from El Salvador. I live here now. I said, how is it compared to El Salvador? He said, in El Salvador, you, you have to pay the gangs not to kill you, and they will protect you. What he meant by that is that they won't kill you. I said, so if you step out of line, will they rob your home? He said, no, they will kill you. And that's what it's like to live there. Such, such terrible tension. That's a picture of our world. Terrible tension. The Bible says it's going to happen worse. Nation will rise against nation. King, kingdom against kingdom. So when you sang about every tongue and tribe and nation dancing before the throne, that's the end. That's the picture. What will solve this problem? Will politics? It won't come close. Politics cannot solve it because politics only has law. And the law cannot come close. The gospel is the only thing that, that will possibly solve it. So we look at Acts chapter 8. Stephen's died. On that day, great persecution. You see it right off the bat. Why is there persecution? Because there were Jews not acting like Jews. And so the Jews were hating those who were not real Jews, and the not real Jews didn't like them because they weren't real Jews. In fact, they called them uncircumcised, which got Stephen killed. So you've got the same kind of tension. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and What do you know about Samaria? Is that a good word? You know that when they wanted to really offend Jesus, John chapter 8, verse 48, what did they call him? They called him a Samaritan and a, and, and a demonized person in one sentence. I wouldn't put those two words together in one sentence, what they did. That was the worst they could call him was a Samaritan. Why? Let's, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. I put a map on earlier this morning, and someone did their job. They, they, uh, they erased it. <laughs> so, so thank you, whoever did it. You did your job. But I had to put it on again. So here you have a picture of Israel. And you've got uh, Jerusalem to the south, and you've got Samaria up here. And in the... Uh, you had the uh, ten tribes up in this region and two in the lower region. And under David and Solomon, under David, the northern tribes had their questions about him ruling because he was from Bethlehem, which is down here. And, but David was strong enough to hold them together. Solomon was strong enough to hold them together, but not Rehoboam, not Solomon's son. And the nation split. And so you had now two nations a nation to the north, nation to the south. The nation to the south only had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They had the northern, they had 
ten tribes. So Assyria comes down, wipes out the northern kingdom, pulls them off, brings in Gentiles who marry, who intermarry. So now you've got an, a half-breed Jew. So what do the people of the south think of them? They're distant cousins, and they actually hate them more than they hate Gentiles. They hate each other. So if you're in Jerusalem and you have to get up to Galilee, how are you going to go? You're not going to go through Samaria. You, you don't want to go through there because you hate them. You hate them. Yeah, you, you, you could go that way. Or you could go down to Jericho, which is right here, about 18 miles. Then you go up the Jordan River Valley, and you're in Galilee, and you didn't have to go through Samaria because you hate Samaria. It says in John 4, for Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And so when we read that Philip went to Samaria, it, it doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a huge deal. When Jesus said, uh, wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, and then he said Samaria. What did they do when he said Samaria? I think they grimaced. So you'll do witnessing among ISIS and among, you say that, and there's going to be a response in your heart. I mean, it's going to be something happened because you have too much history. So when he said Samaria, they were, uh, no, not Samaria. The Holy Spirit did a number on them. And so I want you to look back. There's a passage that has all kinds of tension in it, and you probably haven't read it and understood how much tension. Turn to John chapter 4 so we get a picture. Did I? Oh, my. Oh, my. Pause, Andrew. Andrew, put that on pause there. You okay? Can, you okay? Can you come up? I mean, this is, this is pretty important. But his disciples, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. He left because he didn't want to be killed before the time. So he's guarding himself so that they wouldn't kill him ahead of time. So he's leaving, and it says now he had to go through Samaria. Did he have to go through Samaria? He did not have to. By divine compulsion, he had to go through Samaria. But he didn't have to go through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. I've been there. Been, I've pulled water down from uh, Jacob's well. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, well, give, give me to drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. That's a parenthetical statement. He sent them. He said, you guys go get hamburgers. He didn't want them around because he was going to be talking to somebody, and he knew that it wouldn't work for them to be there because he had three strikes against them. You'll see in the next verse. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, correct? And I am a Samaritan woman. Two strikes there. Woman, Samaritan, actually three strikes. Not a moral woman. Had the disciples been there, they would have picked her apart if they could. Jesus wouldn't have let them. But he wanted them out of the way. 
So they were gone so he could talk to her. Some commentaries suggest that he's, she's being sarcastic. What's going on here? What are you doing asking me? We don't have any dealings. Because, and then John puts parenthetically, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. What was John doing two years later than this? Two years after this, no, he was, he was in Samaria preaching the gospel two years later. So he, he remembered, he wrote this after he had gone to Samaria for the Jews. He knew where, where it was going. And so Jesus talked about uh, the, the living water, and she said, are you, look at verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's claiming the same father that the Jews claim as their father. This is tense. This is not an easy conversation. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And so she talks. Uh, she tells him, go call your husband. I don't know how many husband. And she says in verse 19, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. What mountain was that? Mount Gerizim. They believe to this day, I've been there, I was there for their Samaritan sacrifice in 1968. They still sacrifice to this day. Probably the smallest people group in the world, 250 or so, Samaritans. They are their own people group. You can't get in, it's hard to get out too. So our fathers worshiped on this mountain. They believe that Mount Gerizim was the mountain Mount Moriah, where Abraham brought his son to sacrifice. That actually is in Jerusalem, but they're claiming that. So there's this huge feud going on between these two nations, and, and this woman is keeping this feud going. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. So they're having at least in her thinking, kind of a fight. It's we versus you. Listen to what Jesus says. Believe me, woman. <laughs> He's going to say it pretty hard now. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Uh, you're wrong. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. I'm going to read something later on in this chapter that's going to, going to uh, really turn that whole thing around. Yet the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. So Jesus says, she says, the Messiah is coming. And he says, I who speak to you am he. And God bursts, believes in his heart. So God has timed this perfectly. So she now has, is a believer. And she's getting ready to take her pot. Just now the disciples come back. And they're trying to give food to Jesus. And she, he says, no, I've already eaten. What? Somebody slipped on the sandwich? No, I've got food. I've got food that you don't even know about. And then he says, if you, in effect, if you weren't blind, 
you would lift up your eyes. I get goosebumps when I say this. But you could lift up your eyes as the fields were wide unto harvest. Right now, they're coming out of Sychar in droves because she is gone. And they're coming out to uh, worship Jesus, to hear from him, to be saved. And they don't see it. They're blind. I have for my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So uh, he says, open your eyes and look to the field. That was a literal statement. It wasn't just figurative because they could have seen them coming. So verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. A woman had had five husbands and was on her sixth. I hope you would have talked to her, not thought, well, she's... She may not qualify. Well, in Jesus' eyes, she really qualifies. There is no place in the Gospels that has as successful a campaign as this one right here. Listen to what they say. And because of his word, many more believed. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard ourselves, and we know that this man really is the, what does it say? Savior of the world. That's the only time that that occurs except in 1 John 4, 14. And it was spoken first by a Samaritan. Jesus wants to break through those cultural, uh, the cultural carnage of our own thinking. Maybe you have some cultural carnage that you need to deal with. Maybe there are things in your life that separate you, that keep you from certain groups, certain individuals. Maybe you have your mind already made up. The disciples did for several, re for three reasons they wouldn't have talked to. Jesus cut through that and became a powerful time for evangelism. And so we'll go back to chapter 8. Those who had been scattered, verse 4, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Praise the Lord. We're down a third. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. Now, is the rest of the world, is that going to be a tough assignment? It is because it's Gentiles. So what did God do? God took a Jew and broke him down, blinded him. He didn't throw him off a horse. You, you saw movies. He wasn't on a horse. He just fell to the ground, it says in Acts 9. But he blinded him and turned him around. Would we have gone after Paul? I doubt it. Because the Christians were afraid of him when they heard that he'd become a Christian. They were afraid because he was killing Christians. God doesn't like racial tension. And he wants to turn it around in your life and in my life and sometimes he'll be very strong as he does it. I mean, he will take charge when and where he needs to. What's he doing today? He's giving vision to Muslims. Did God give any visions to you when you were a Muslim? What did he? What did it? What kind of vision? To love one another. Before you became a Christian, yeah. What did you see? Did you see anything? 
and yeah probably yeah i have seen a lot uh, quite alone from each other a kid that i was growing up uh, staying far from the kid that i was growing up to so i can i can have uh, the joyful of the lord did you see did you have any dreams about christ or any vision yeah, I saw my father, yeah, and his picture. Mm-hmm. When I came to Utopia, I saw the, the, his picture, the, the one finger saying, the, the, yes. So, yeah, and I, I was kind of different from the kid that I was growing up, and I was kind of saying, you you might different these people. What, what, I wasn't pretty sure the way that I am, and but yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, yeah, I was waiting one time. Uh, the way that I am, uh, scripture tells me so far. And Why did you turn your life over to Jesus? Uh, what convinced you? Everybody knows. Everybody looking this way. Anyone who got a heavenly father way will say this is the way that I was waiting for so long, and this is the way that my concern in my entire life. Oh, I'm free now. I I know where I am exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going back because this is the way that I'm safe. You know. Uh, so. Uh, so you think people know in their heart? They're gonna find the heavenly father way. Yes. That's encouraging to know, isn't it? That that he knew something in his heart, and when he connected with Tim, who was doing revive, they they tra- you were together for a week. When was there a time that he then gave his heart to the Lord, or, or was it at the beginning or at the end? Or? We, uh, I was part of a team of four that met a meet on Tuesday afternoon of Revive Twin Cities, and uh, he was wide open to Jesus when we first talked to him. But we were with him the entire week. He came to Revive Twin Cities every day and uh, ate meals with us and was baptized on Thursday of that week. Um, but he said he had seen, he had had dreams in which he saw someone that he realized was Jesus. Uh, he only realized that um, after we began to talk to him. So, so God, uh, God's in charge, and God can do anything anything He wants to do. He can give people visions. He can give people dreams. So we don't want to put up barriers in our heart. I want us to close in prayer. I want us to pray first of all, personally, very personally. That if, there, if you can think of any barriers in your own heart, if you could think of certain kinds, certain people, certain races, certain types that you would have a really difficult time with, get ready because God will probably challenge that in your heart. He will challenge that. And sometimes he will do it in a forceful way. Sometimes it will be gentle. But... I'm encouraged today as I hear what Becca, what these young men are doing, what we hear from Amit, what we see from the scriptures, that they went to Samaria. Samaria became a part of the, uh, a part of the uh, evangelized. They'll be with us in heaven. Father, we pray 
that we would be rescued from cultural carnage. I pray that you would rescue us from anything in the way we think that would put barriers on how we would speak, who we would speak to, what we would say. We thank you that you always go ahead of us. You precede us. And you are doing wonderful things in our day to bring all kinds of people to yourself. Muslims, thank you for Muslims are coming to faith by the truckloads. And we pray that we would be a part of the answer in our day. In a moment, I'm going to have you break up into just a small group, two or three, and pray for one another in this specific way. Pray against racial tension because it's a huge problem in the world. It's a huge problem in America, and it's not going to be solved by political powers. It's going to be solved in one way, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who breaks down divisions, it says in second in Ephesians chapter 2. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So now spin